0: Welcome to Inside the Hive. It's the first Inside the Hive of 2021 and we couldn't welcome this year in with a better guest. I would say he's a an old a young old guest, but the best guest to have. We have Nick Bilton here today. Nick, welcome back.
1: Thank you so much for having me on the show. I feel like um I feel like I stepped into some kind of time warp and uh or, or in some other world, you know, the, the many worlds theory. And and in this world, COVID still exists. Um, and uh, you're the host of the podcast and I'm the guest. It's very exciting to be on. It is,
0: it is kind of a weird reversal of fortunes here. Mm-hmm. At, before you and I started, well, actually, I had started recording and you muted yourself as if you had never been on a podcast period, let alone you had started this very podcast and done it for many, many years. So I'm glad that you're rusty and I'm glad that we're going to kind of de-rust you in this very exciting first episode of the year. I feel like we have a lot to talk about. about. So much to talk about. I feel like here's where I want to start. This is a, the the new year. We're on a new, new note, but it, you wouldn't really know it because everything feels exactly the same. Every day feels exactly the same. Where we left 2020 is sort of where we're starting 2021. And we have great hopes for the future, but the problems are real. Uh, they have not magically overnight gotten better. And I just want your view on where we are, where we stand, how you're feeling. I think everyone would just kind of want the state of the Nick state right now?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting. If you and I would have had this conversation a month ago, I think I would have had a much rosier view of 2021. I think we, you know, we realized then that Trump was not going to be able to steal the election uh, through the numerous ways he attempted to. Um, this was a month ago, I'm saying. Uh, we you know the vaccine had was being approved numbers were down you know we were just uh, 2 months away from biden being the next president and kamala being the next vice president it just it just felt it felt exciting and new and then we were hearing that there were going to be 20 million people by the end of 2020 who would be vaccinated in the united states we were hearing that people you know, in the first wave, and the second wave, and the third wave, all these different folks would be, you know, by the summer of next year, pretty much everyone in the United States would be COVID free. And now it turns out that none of that is actually true. There have only been 2 million people uh, by the end of December who have been vaccinated. Um, You know,
0: when I saw what number I saw, and this may be totally wrong, both in, in its, uh, original form and how I'm repeating it. So I'm just telling you this may be really doubly wrong, but I think this is right. I saw someone say that at the current rate that we're vaccinating people, it would take 10 years to vaccinate that, the United States.
1: That is correct. Exactly. 10 years at the rate that we are. You know, what I mean, it's, it's so frustrating. Operation Warp Speed, which Trump took all this credit for and had absolutely fuck all to do with. Um, you know, it, it was... Operation War—he didn't—he didn't manage Operation Warp Speed in England or China or Germany or anywhere else. So, it, and it was the drunk companies that developed this stuff, and his only job—and his o- his administration's only job—was to get it out to the American people. And in reality, when it came to to his part in the play, just complete and utter failure. You know, there's there are millions and millions of doses of the vaccine in this country sitting in freezers because they don't know how to distribute them. The states don't talk to each other. The cities don't talk to each other. And and something I heard this week from a doctor in LA, a a really, really reputable doctor in LA, he said that the most frustrating part is that because the government bought up all the vaccine uh, because they wanted to show that they were ahead of the curve the local doctors can't buy up the vaccine to give to their patients because there's none. They're all owned by the government. And so it's just, it's like, it's the perfect cherry on top of the disaster of this administration that literally cannot end uh, soon enough. So that's my rosy picture of the beginning of 2021. I will say uh, that, um, you know, for the first time, in four years, I think in a couple of months and probably in a couple of weeks, sorry, we won't actually be talking about Donald Trump um, that much. Maybe, you know, he'll like send a dick pic that, you know, will get picked up on Twitter or something. Oh. Stupid. But he but I just think he I think he's going to really stay out of the out of the out of the media just for a little bit. I don't think the MSNBCs and the Foxes and the CNNs of the world cannot talk about him because their ratings will go down. But I think for a little while, we'll get some some much needed peace and quiet from the worst president in the history of the United States of America.
0: Well, I can definitively say that on the first day of this year, you've given me the worst image of 2020. just in that that statement of, of why Donald Trump may still be relevant. So thank you for that. You're you fine. brought up something that I think I've been thinking about a lot, but I've been I forgot about. So thank you. You were saying that that the president basically had one job, and the drug companies did their job. They created this vaccine in, in record time, and it's incredible that so many drug companies have come through and done that. It's amazing what science can do when all the eyes and money and attention of the world are on one cause. The, the administration had one task, and that was distributing that vaccine, and they have undoubtedly botched that so far. And my thinking is, A, this administration is filled with such incompetent people, but B, it's also run by someone who is so myopically focused on themselves. And if he wasn't going to be president and it didn't benefit him personally to dole out a vaccine in an effective way then why spend the time to get this right right it's going to be joe biden's win if it's done correctly it's going to be his loss if this current administration didn't do correctly so what what was the incentive for someone like him who only cares about how things impact him and how people think about him what was the incentive for him to actually get this right right
1: Well, I think that the incentive in the beginning was, uh, you know, we all have our sources of Vanity Fair in the, you know, uh, in the Trump administration um, and and in the surrounding uh, departments and so on, and and the goal we all heard and and was reported widely everywhere was that he wanted to, he that was his hail mary pass was let's get the vaccine before November, and then we will have, you know, we'll win. Uh, and, um, and I think that he completely gave up on, um, on doing that once it, once he, it was clear he lost the election. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, it's funny, his press secretary who will go on to do great things with her life, I'm sure. Uh, I mean that sarcastically, uh, she at one point tried to call it the Trump vaccine, uh, which the, of course.
0: Geraldo tried.
1: Yeah, a bunch of them have tried, but you know what's funny? I think
0: we actually would have been
1: better off if we had have called it the Trump vaccine because he would have actually have given a shit about giving it to people, and um, and maybe twenty million people would have been vaccinated by by the end of December, and rather than two point one, and so you know, look, I think it is just so clear. What's so astounding to me is I remember, I remember how how shaken. The world was how shaken America was, how shaken we all were on nine eleven. Right? There's a nine eleven that happens every single solitary day in this country because of COVID, mm. and and he's playing golf. It, that's it. It's just it it's just mind boggling to me that that he, uh, just how blatantly he does not care about other people's lives.
0: Well, and, I think when when yeah. you elect a president who from the outset speaks about women the way he speaks about women. Uh, He so blatantly doesn't care about anything other than how things relate to him. You don't expect anything else of them. He has completely diminished the way that we think about what a president should do say. I mean, I think about Jimmy Carter's brother having to sell, uh, you know, the peanut farm, right? Uh, Like think about, think about all the things that, that his own uh, children have done and been a part of while he was, uh leading this administration. It's just every norm has been shattered and we're completely numb to all of it now because everything was so disorienting the entire but, time.
1: But here's the good news. In 3 weeks we will have a normal human being. Granted, he's pretty old, a little slow, but nice guy. Doesn't, you know, do the things that Trump does, won't talk like Trump, won't tweet like Trump, won't do anything. And so I think you know what I think we should do right now? What? What? I think we should do our New Year's resolutions. I'm going to do my first New Year's resolution. And do that, it. And that is, no, you know, we're coming into the new year now, and we should not begin it by letting Trump live in our head, rent-free once again. So I'm going to change the conversation to uh, to something else, but I don't really know what else to talk about.
0: I, I have something else I want to talk about. Yes. Can it still be under this resolution Creed can we still talk about politics but just a different kind of politics
1: yes local politics
0: local politics all politics are local right yeah I am in a new locality in large part thanks to you and I don't I I know that things in Los Angeles right now as they are in many parts of this country particularly in a lot of big cities have felt really grim really scary really uh, sad and have for months and a lot of it is years in the making uh, I think that COVID and a lot of the BLM stuff that we experienced earlier this summer have brought a lot of it to the head. But you and I were speaking earlier today and you had some real hot takes about what's going on in Los Angeles. Can you fill me in as someone who is new here?
1: Well, it's interesting. I think what the problem with Los Angeles is an amazing city um, and it has a lot of very unique problems that that a lot of other cities don't have. Um of this size, maybe New York is probably pretty similar, but but what is interesting about Los Angeles is it has grown uh, exponentially over the last several years. It has, um, you know, specifically through the pandemic, the cost of of living has gone up dramatically. <clears throat> you know, house sales uh, and house renovations have been on par statistically and numbers wise with um, with the housing boom of two thousand six two thousand seven. Um, And homelessness has, of course, gone up with that and crime and so on. And I think that the the problem with L.A. that is so that, you know, stands apart from a lot lot of other cities is that it is a progressive city with progressively elective uh, politicians. And I think that you can see the unraveling of Los Angeles um, in real time, because of the, the the people that have been voted in, and so for example, uh, the new district attorney uh, George Gascon, who uh, used to be the district attorney in San Francisco, who is uh, you know as progressively liberal as as one could get. Um, I have, I have friends who are in Hollywood, who are reporters who cover the city, who are uh, people you know who raise money for politicians and so on who are terrified by this guy and his um his beliefs around crime he he wants to essentially strip ar- strip away most things uh, that um that criminals uh, that stop criminals from 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 doing things that they're not supposed to like it, it 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 is so unbelievable the things that this guy is pushing this new DA and i think that you 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 look at the city And I have to say this, this is, I never thought these words would actually come out of my mouth, but for the first time in my life, I want to vote for a Republican mayor of Los Angeles. I I don't believe, I think that the, uh, the liberal approach to managing a city of this size is not working. Uh, and I think that there needs to be, there just needs to be a, a, a new rules put in place and, and, and just a new way of thinking that it's so clear that this one is not working. Um, and I just have had this realization I I've realized in some respects, and I know I'll get a lot of hate tweets about this and whatnot, but I, I think that conservatives can actually be quite effective on a local and state level and are diabolical on a federal level. Um, and, and a lot of people I know have been saying this lately that the, They look at what's happening in these big cities, New York, Chicago, L.A. uh, And I'm not going to say Trump's right, because I think the rhetoric he uses is just ridiculous. But I do think that um, that, you know, look, there's no question that the 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 way people are incarcerated, the way the prisons work, all these different things are problems that need fixing. But you're not fixing them by not arresting criminals uh, there just needs to be new approaches taken and they're not happening. And it's it's just been kind of astounding to do the research and reporting to, to realize just how badly it, it, it's run in L.A. This is Inside the Hive.
0: Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Well, a couple of things. I, I agree that in, in many of the big cities, particularly in Los Angeles, uh, we've seen New York, particularly through the pandemic in a sorrier state. Um, Chicago obviously has had its issues over the years. I, I think that what's happening in these major cities is untenable. I don't know that a Republican mayor would be the, the solve. I'm curious. I, I want to ask you why you think it would be. I do think that we need new ways of thinking. I'm not sure that that has to come from a Republican or a conservative. I think well, I mean, well, that maybe is, it comes from is, a younger politician or someone who's who's progressive, not in the, the traditional liberal sense that we think of as progressive, but just someone who has out-of-the-box thinking. But I'm curious why, I'm surprised as someone who knows you to hear you say that you could even vote for a Republican. And it's, I'm intrigued. So I, I just want to hear you out on it.
1: I, I, I Just look at some of the rules that, there, uh, the new DA is trying to push forward. He, he wants to make it so that um, uh, there was a, a proposition called Prop 25, which was going to eliminate cash bail uh, unless there's a violent crime and, and voters voted against this proposition in LA. And what it essentially meant was that if you were to uh, break into someone's home while they're home and you don't injure them, uh, you can literally be arrested and get out that same day. And then you won't have your hearing until, uh, you know, months later or so on, you could break into their home a hundred times, uh, and there would be no bail, uh, and you would not get in any trouble. He wants to eliminate the concept of trespassing, literally just get rid of it. Um, there's all, all these insane things that, uh, you know, I think are just the wrong, uh, the wrong approach. There's, there's all these, I mean, this is a DA who, famously, and I have no idea how this guy won, but famously, um, all the people who worked with him in San Francisco, London Breed and so on, uh, wouldn't endorse him, t- uh, for, to be DA in, in, um, in LA. And I actually think he probably won partially in, in large part because of the Black Lives Matter movement. And I completely understand that 1000% and, and how people saw this as an opportunity, but, you know, one of the things that's happened is, with as a result of, of of that, with the defund the police, for example, which all ties into this conversation, uh, the the LAPD was defunded one hundred and fifty million dollars. Do you know what they got rid of with that one hundred and fifty million dollars? Homeless outreach. So they've literally gotten rid of their homeless outreach divisions, right? So or completely gutted them, and so you you have a city where you have sixty six thousand homeless people. Uh, and we've now gotten rid of that aspect of, of of the LAPD, and and it's just it just none of it makes any sense. I I completely understand what you're saying that there can be progressive conservatives and so on, and I I hope that that is someone who runs for mayor of LA and for these other cities, or that there's someone who is liberal in in some of their thinking, but more conservative in other aspects. But I just think that. When I look at the state of these locally run cities, uh, it's just astounding. I mean, look at New York. All the videos um, that are on social media right now of just the chaos there. Um, And look, I know it's not as bad as as the Fox News wants to make you believe, but I just think that I think we're at a point where um, we're seeing how some of the decision making by these local government officials um, is just just not working, just completely not working.
0: Sure, I, I also think that like the portrayal of some of these big cities, especially of New York in the last couple of months where everyone was kind of saying it was this hellscape, chaos zone. It, it doesn't seem from from our friends who are there, our colleagues who are there that it's as scary as people are portraying it, but no, it but definitely- there, f- There's
1: data points that show crime going up. I mean, that's, totally. that's undeniable, right?
0: Totally. I, th- 100%. And I think um, it, it is a problem that has been completely exacerbated by the pandemic, but it is certainly not something that uh, is completely new and something that will go away once we do normalize from the pandemic. It always, this conversation always makes me a little sad because when we talk about, you know, we need new fresh ideas to come in, right? Or we need a progressive idea to win out. The reality is, and this is both local and federal uh, in national politics and in city politics, all, all across the board, you can't win a race as a progressive who has new ideas because you don't have the money behind you. You don't have the infrastructure behind you. It is really, really difficult for a new young person to actually win an election. You can have the best ideas, you can have the brightest minds and those people just can't get elected. It's, it's not, it doesn't never happen, but it is very rare. And that makes me feel like our system is just so broken and never do I think about that more than when I think about the Senate, right? Oh, yeah. We are watching very old white men, most of whom deny that COVID was in existence or at least a big problem who have now all gotten the vaccination before anyone we know has gotten the vaccination. And we have Mitch McConnell still for now uh, as the, as the head of the Senate. And it just makes me feel like if you can't vote Mitch McConnell out, then no one has a chance, right? This man has a record of being so callous of being so cruel of, of, This week alone, fighting tooth and nail to not give hurting Americans $2,000, only giving them $600, many of these people don't qualify for unemployment benefits. Many of these people have not gotten a paycheck for months and months and months and months and months, and and has stood up against even the president who is calling for a $2,000 check for these people. He has stood in the face of someone who he has been so blindly loyal to over the last four years. It is so maddening. It is it is nonsensical. And it really makes me feel like there needs to be term limits in the Senate so that voices like that and people who are so powerful, who have so much money behind them, who have this whole system behind them, they need to be voted out and younger, more progressive, more compassionate voices need to have a chance to actually get in those Senate doors.
1: I, I, I 1,000% agree. I truly 1,000% agree. I think that You know, it is astounding to me. I mean, you and I talked about this last year where Mitch McConnell was the one of the least liked politicians in the Senate um, and next to Lion Ted Cruz. And yet they both won. And and it's, you know, I I look at these food lines in Texas, for example, 13 hour waits for people to these food banks, just astounding and so sad. And. And this is someone who can't give them two thousand dollars. I mean, it's it. What difference does it make to him? It makes none, absolutely none. I mean, and I, I hope, I pray with every ounce of my being that that he loses Georgia as a result of this. I don't know if that will happen. I doubt it will, but I do hope for that. And I think that at the end of the day, that <clears throat> the term limits are needed. You know, I, I think that the. Uh, that you you need completely and this look I if you rewind back to I don't even know how long ago it was that you and I spoke about this but when we were talking about you know when Buttigieg and and Kamala and everyone was on that stage running for uh for for president um and they were all you know running up against Biden my I think I believe yours too least favorite pick was Biden and we were like. He's an old white guy. He's been doing this for 50 years. Like we want new blood in there, fresh people. And, and it didn't happen this time. And I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful that he won with every ounce of my being. And it's clear he was the right candidate because he was the one who did beat Donald Trump. But I think that I hope that this is the, the end of this era of these people, these old white guys who have been running the country for so long and have clearly done a pretty shitty job at it, you know, from from Lindsey Graham to, to on both sides to to Biden to to all of them. Mitch McConnell, the the biggest serpent in in, in the whole political system. Um, and I just, you know, I think that I think that it's you can say that you dislike AOC and you can say that you dislike you know other the other people in the squad and this that and the other. But I think it's so exciting that they are new and young and passionate and smart and have different ideas. And my hope is that um, that you get people on the right and on the left that, that come, come at this with, with new thoughts. And hopefully some of them have this agreement that term limits are the first thing that they need to change. This is Inside the Hive.
0: I think that early on in the primaries, I did not think that Joe Biden had the best chance to win. I was obviously completely wrong. I think he will make a great president. I think he will be the stabilizing force that we so desperately need right now. I really do feel like there's something to be said both in the White House and in Congress uh, and even locally. There is something to be said for experience, right? You, You can have all the bright ideas that you want and you can have all the smarts and the progressive ideologies that you want, but there's something to be said for like being in the room where it happens and knowing what to do under that kind of pressure and balancing all the interests that you have and knowing all the factors at play and knowing all the consequences. You can't account for that kind of experience unless you've actually lived through it. And I think that that's incredibly valuable, but I think what you need is a dialogue between that experience and And another side where it's, well, we aren't mired by the years of those experience. We're not bogged down by, well, this is how it's always been done. We're bringing in fresh new ideas. And I actually think that the Biden administration is doing a really good job of mixing voices in the cabinet, in the people that they're choosing. I'm really excited by the prospect of, of what is going to be. And yes, there is an old white man at the top of the heap there right but he has surrounded himself by by a lot of different voices by people who are incredibly experienced but but whose experiences are are diverse and whose backgrounds are are diverse a lot of women in there which i'm really excited about and um i just think that we're in for something that feels certainly different than what we've had over the last 4 years but but different than what we've had before in general and i think that that can be taken forward into what comes next after this administration too. I hope it is.
1: I 1000% agree. I think, look, I, I, I will um, eat dirt here and say, you know, I think I probably got it wrong with Biden. Uh, I think that, um, you know, I was excited, went back a couple of years ago when that stage was a lot of people. I was excited by the idea of a Pete Buttigieg uh, who I think is incredibly smart, and I think will be in politics for a long time, barring him doing something, you know, ridiculous or you know, dumb, which I don't think he would is even capable of doing. I was super excited by Elizabeth Warren and her ideas, and um, uh, you know, especially around federal spending and, and taxes and so on. Um, and you know, of course, incredibly excited about Kamala. And and so I think when I looked at Biden next to them, I was like, I don't want that guy. I want them. And we, you know, we're going to get them uh, for the most part, um, and 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 more. And I think, like, seeing the, you know, the people that he is going to bring in who are Hispanic and people of color, and the fact that the, the vice president is going to be a woman of color, I think there's no way that uh, we're not going to see. Uh, it's not going to be the traditional white guy running the country kind of thing. It's going to be a completely new version of, it, which I think is super exciting. Um, my big worry, I think when I think about what's next is, I mean, we, you know, it'll be all depend on what happens in Georgia. If we can somehow pull something off because of Stacey Abrams is Superwoman, um, you know, things will be great. And hopefully we'll be able to ram a bunch of stuff through before, Um, we lose the house in two years or whatever is going to happen. But I do wonder what's going to happen in four years. And I know that's getting ahead of ourselves a little bit. But, you know, I don't think Biden's going to be able to run again then. Um, I think he'll be way too old. Uh, And um, and it'll be interesting to see if he who shall not be named tries to go again or if it's if it's some other slimy scumbag on the right or I don't know, um, it's going to be it's going to be interesting figuring that out because I know that those are the conversations that are already starting, um, you know, in the on the, the Democratic side and the Republican side. Um, and, uh, we're, you know, we're going to start to see that stuff play out pretty quickly, even though it's four years away.
0: Sure. And also never say never about Biden four years from now. You talked you know, probably two years ago about Biden being too old to run this time. So who knows? Anything can happen. What's very exciting to me is that your boys get to see a Vice President Kamala Harris and Stacey Abrams, the superhero of the South. Like Those are their, their probably first memories of people in politics. And that's just what a cool thing to get to show your kids right now. I just feel so hopeful about that. They probably won't remember our current president, but they probably will remember this next administration. That's very, very cool to me. As we talk about looking ahead to this year and four years from now and beyond, I want to know, before I let you go, what you're looking forward to covering this year. What are the things that are lighting you up as a reporter?
1: What am I looking forward to covering this year? I mean, look, I think that I, I think that I'm sorry, my toddler is screaming in the background. I'm looking forward to my kids going back to school. Uh, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I'm Very relatable. Forward, I'm looking forward to being able to sit outside and eat and eat dinner or inside. Actually, I take that back. I'm looking forward to sitting inside and eating dinner. with Agreed. Michael. Can you imagine what that's going to be like?
0: no i we constantly fantasize over here about walking into a crowded restaurant like that that's our like our ultimate fantasy is walking into a noisy restaurant. That's all yeah. I want. <laughs> do you
1: remember do you do you have this moment I have this moment a lot where I'm watching t v and i um and I'm like, oh my God, they're not, why are they, they they're touching each other. Why are they not wearing a mask? Do you have that moment when you watch?
0: Well, Talon we, Talon? we had it very severely. Our first actually pre-quarantine, but it led us into quarantine. Uh, we watched The Sopranos from the beginning and there's so much kissing and hugging in that show between relatives. And it was really hard once we were on total lockdown to watch the show because all they do is like they double kiss. And it just it really slams you in the face constantly. Yeah. When we're watching stuff, that's that's pretty much all that I can think about.
1: What what's so funny is I was watching um, when when I was watching, uh, you know, something from like the 1920s and literally my brain at first was like, why are they not wearing masks? So it's not just uh, it's not just the Sopranos. This is Inside the Hive. I, look, I'm more excited about the transition to the end of COVID than I am about anything I'm going to be covering in the next four years or year or whatever. But, you know, I think that th- that one thing that will be really interesting, a couple of things. One is um, I think this actually is going to be a big year for cryptocurrencies, um, for Bitcoin and, and things like that. Uh, you know, at the end of the year, uh, Bitcoin flirted with $30,000 a Bitcoin. Like that's insane. It's totally insane to me that that is, uh, um, that's how much it is. And I'll give you, I'll tell you a little story that, that I was thinking about um, as I've been following the rise of all these cryptocurrencies over the last few months. Um, there was, I remember almost 10 years ago, uh, eight, nine, 10 years ago, I did a story on this guy Uh, Laszlo, I forget his last name, but I was at the New York Times at the time. And he he was the first person to ever uh, do a transaction with Bitcoin. And he had been mining for Bitcoin on his computer at home. Um, He did like some tech hardware stuff at like a local computer shop in Florida. He had a little girl. He was married. His house that he lived in was worth, I think, around $112,000 or something like that. Um, very small, modest, really sweet guy. So he'd been collecting all these Bitcoins mining for them. He had about 30,000 of them or something like that, or, uh, no, 10,000 of them, sorry. And he, um, he went on a forum, uh, before anyone really knew what, what Bitcoin was. And he, with a bunch of other Bitcoin people. And he said, what am I supposed to do with these? And, uh, he said, I will, um, I'll give someone to. I'll give someone these ten thousand Bitcoin if you buy me a pizza and send it to my house. There's some guy in England. Uh, it says, "Give me your address. Um, uh, tell me what pizza you want." He orders two Papa John pizzas with the the really delicious like garlic cream sauce that you that you get to dip it in. Uh, about thirty bucks or so. Uh, they showed up at his house and he sent the guy the thirty the the, the ten thousand Bitcoins. And I interviewed him for the story, and his wife had said. Like, is this really illegal? Like, what are we, what we're doing? Those ten thousand bitcoins today would be worth around four billion dollars or something like that. Oh my god, it's just insane. Um, I remember when I did the story on him; uh, that those bitcoin would have been worth um, around six million dollars, and and the fact that they've gone up to to almost six billion at this point is just insane, and so. I don't know. I feel like it's it's something that's going to continue to 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 push the boundaries, and it's something that's here to stay. That's really interesting. I think another really interesting thing is um, we are going to see more um, uh, about the, you know, social media, um, Facebook, Amazon, all these companies, um, the Justice Department. Um, I think I don't necessarily know if they're going to end up. Um, being broken up or taken down, um, especially especially Facebook, um, but I think it's going to be an interesting story to cover. Um, and of course, I'm actually probably going to be doing probably a little bit more, uh, looking at kind of some local politics stuff. I think it's really fascinating to see how um, how these cities are changing and being run and so on, um, and um, based on who's been elected and. Uh, I'm really interested in kind of digging into that a little bit more. What about you?
0: Oh, well, I mean, everything you just said is fascinating to me. I can't wait for you to cover it because you will cover it uh, not only because it's important, but because you have a very special mind and you know how to make stories that are complex or confusing, just really juicy and interesting. So thanks, I'm very thanks. excited for all of it. I'll give for
1: you a for that compliment.
0: If you can hook me up with that <laughs> pizza deal... That's like the real service journalism you could do is, is tell us how we can get the kind of deal that that pizza orderer got. Yeah, I know, right? That's what I'm, I'm most interested in figuring that out. I mean, look, we have a new first family, right? And they are a very different first family than the one I've been covering for the last four years, but they are very interesting. Uh, I'm so excited to sort of dig into who they are and who they will be as our first family. It feels a lot more fun. Um, a lot lighter, but but no less juicy. So um, I think that will be a focus of mine. I also think that um, we are entering into an era of COVID where rich people will behave really badly. What do you and, mean? Well, I think there's no clear understanding of who comes next when you get the vaccine. Once you vaccinate frontline workers, uh, teachers, uh, first responders, all those people, once once the people who are essential workers get vaccinated, there's no, everyone says like, oh, I'm not going to jump my place on the list. But the list is not a thing. Like, There's not a national list ranking every American for when they get the vaccine. And yes, there are guidelines. People fall in class A, B, C, D, all the way down. But there's no real sense of organization. It's like who your doctor is and who in that office is deciding who comes next. There's just like no sense of, organization here or at least it hasn't been communicated effectively to me and so i think what you're going to start to see is people who have money power access trying to jockey their way into a vaccine perhaps they before they need to
1: it makes total sense i mean i remember in the very beginning of um covid i remember hearing stories and i think i wrote about this for vf um about some of the billionaires and millionaire multimillionaires in Silicon Valley and LA who had bought, they had seen what was happening in Italy uh, with ventilators. So they had bought ventilators They purchased ventilators that would have gone to hospitals and probably saved lives. And like, you know, and then I remember doing a piece in October, I think it was about these billionaires and millionaires that were, especially the Silicon Valley ones that were, um, partying, uh, um, doing, having COVID parties and they were doing things like, um, hiring and now it's like kind of become normal for people who have a little bit of money even, but, um, they were doing things where they were hiring, uh, rapid testers to come and stand at the door of their party and, uh, test everyone before they came in. And if they got, you know, the 15 minute result was negative, then they were allowed to come inside and they would just mingle outside having cocktails and things like that. Uh, so it would, of course, be perfectly in line with what these rich, powerful, awful people uh, would do—is to jump the line and. Get-
0: yes, well, as as Lee always says, my beat is really just rich shitheads, and <laughs> I think that you are going to have a lot of rich shitheads doing rich shitheady things, and I just I look forward to covering it all. I, so I, rich I do shitheads have One there.
1: last question for you, and oh. I know it breaks my. Uh, my resolution. So I'm going to just go ahead and do that before the end of this podcast. What do you think happens to the Trump family after this? Do you think that, that Donald runs again in four years or, or is he in jail or is he just, you know, running some TV station or, you know, something or do you, and do you think that, you know, the, the, the vile Donnie Jr. is like running the NRA or, or, and Ivanka's, you know, the Senator from Florida. I mean, what, what, what do you, how do you think this plays out for them? Are they, are they the, the grifter version of a political family, you know, like the Kennedys, or do they just disappear?
0: Well, you even uttering the word Kennedy in the same sentence as Trump is making a Drifter
1: version. I did say doesn't grifter. matter.
0: They don't they hear what they want to hear. It would be like Ivanka's dream come true. I, I wrote all about it in my book, but like her mm-hmm. entire life, Ivanka's been obsessed with the Kennedys. All three of her kids have Kennedy related names. She went to high school first where Jackie Kennedy went and then where John Kennedy went and, you know, all sorts of weird connections. Um. And she loves it. But I do not think they become a political dynasty. I think nothing and everything happens to them. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I really don't think that any of them end up in jail. I do think that they I, will be. I don't be, think an, so either. I, don't. I do think that they will be investigated by state's attorney general like crazy. And I think that they will be fined and perhaps banned from doing certain kinds of activities the way that they were. I just like never want to repeat this enough. There's never enough repeating the fact that they were stealing from their own charity and, and now cannot have a charity and cannot sit on a board of a charity. Do you know how reprehensible you have to be as a human being for that to be the case? So I think that they will they, they will suffer the kinds of penalties and fines that they have suffered um, through state attorneys general in the past. But I don't know that they, they are in prison or are investigated on federal crimes. I'm not sure, but I don't totally see that in the, in the cards coming down. Um, I think that there is a possible future in which Don Jr. does do something like try and run the NRA. I think there's a possible future in which Ivanka does try and run for office in Florida. I think both of those things could, could happen. I think both of them, those things could not happen. And I do think that there's some sort of media, Contract in the works for President Trump, I do not think he tries to run again in 2024. I think he uses that as a marketing device, but I don't think, he hates the job, right? Uh, he hates it and he already lost- No, but he hates, he he
1: hates- He, he hates loves, loves to job. have one. Walk away, he loves the power.
0: Yes, but I think he can have the kind of power that he wants, which is really just ego-driven power rather than actual power by having a television program on Fox News and a, and a syndicated radio show and a gigantic two-book deal. I think that that's the kind of power he feels comfortable with. And it lets him have ratings that he can brag about and money that he actually cares about. And I think you see him buy a bigger house in Palm Beach that's bigger than his Mar-a-Lago uh, cottage. And I think you see him making a ton of money off of his media deal. I don't think you see him actually running in 2024, but I think you will see him threatened to do so for years and years. It
1: makes me so sad that, um, that he won't suffer real repercussions that I think he deserves for the things he's done. Um, It, you know, to, to think about him, uh, you know, just being a famous, being more famous and, Making more money and you know, having an even bigger voice or equally as large voice or something similar just from a from an existential uh karmic point of view just bums me out. But maybe maybe he'll just, you know, just eventually people will stop to give a stop giving a shit what he says and that'll be the worst thing that'll ever happen to him.
0: Well, life is unfair. And the history books will get it right. That's really how I feel about this, that that eventually he will become irrelevant. And that is a fate worse than anything for him. And the history books will write about him the way that you and I talk about him and the way that we all feel he has governed this country and what we've descended into. And and that will be the last word on him. He will not have his last word. And I think that that will be the the exhale that we're all looking for. This Whoa, conversation has kind of been an exhale that we were all looking for. It, it started off in a fiery place, but now made me sort of hopeful for what's next. I'm really excited for the work you're going to put out, and I'm really this excited year. to
1: announce that I'll be running for mayor of Los Angeles um, in uh, in a couple of years. And so, make sure you vote for me. Just kidding.
0: Well, this um, will be your first endorsement. Then, <laughs> can consider me signed up for your campaign. I'm also really excited to have you back here as often as you'll come back in 2021 of course, it's my
1: pleasure to, to to come on you guys have, have been doing an amazing job i love your guests um i hope everyone subscribes and and uh says nice things on social media oh there's there's one thing I think we're gonna use social media less this year
0: I already do way I think, less i think
1: i think I think the pandemic was like the dead cat bounce for people being obsessed with social media and once it's somewhat over. We'll be out in the wild, just enjoying the sunset rather than taking pictures of it.
0: I, I hope to like never see my phone again once I leave the house personally. <laughs> but until then, I will be on my phone 20 hours a day, just in a, in a rabbit hole that I have no idea how I got down. Nick, thank you. I really, really appreciate thank you. this.
1: Thank have, have a great last few hours of 2020 the fucking worst year ever and uh and 2021 here we come onwards onwards
0: thank you nick thank you to our guest nick bilton and of course my co-host joe hagan if you enjoyed this conversation be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of inside the hive you can find those on apple podcasts radio.com or anywhere you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave a nice review while you're there thanks to the folks at cadence 13 for their great production work and of course thanks to our sponsors please support them any way you would support this podcast we will see you next week